This is an ABC podcast. Stark in. Listen to this crowd now. Back of a length and it's rearing up past Pajara. One summer. I think she believes she can. Every summer. OMG, that went a mile. It was nearly a crowd catch as well. The dancers changing. We see the slips moving around. They're sort of like very jittery. But the dance forever the same. He's got a big grin on his face. So, yeah, I was trying to heave that over the leg side of the pavilion for six as well. She's just giving this everything at the moment. This is Everlasting Summer, the story of cricket on the ABC with Amanda Smith. And in this fifth episode, we finally get two women on the playing field and in the commentary box. And more broadly, the art of cricket commentary. Well, it is an art form, isn't it? Alison Mitchell has been calling international cricket on BBC Radio since 2007 and for ABC Radio since 2014. It's a beautiful thing because with radio being very intimate with your audience, people might be listening to you through the night somewhere across the other side of the world. They might have you on under the duvet. Uh, They might be on a long walk with you in their headphone or they might be in a car. It could be a communal experience. They're in their car with three or four other people all listening or all crowded round a radio in on the beach or in a park. But yeah, your voice is to be used, I guess, like an instrument because you're using your, your voice to convey the sense of what's going on. I always think you can tune into a test match and you can very quickly determine whether this is a really tense passage of play or whether this is a meandering, you know, sort of middling part of the day. Not a lot's happening because the conversation's pretty relaxed. People are having a laugh. The focus is not necessarily all on, all on the action out in the middle. But you use your voice to reflect that as well. Speeding up, you're slowing down, you're, you're raising your volume, you're lowering the volume and the tone. So, yeah, using your voice as a, as a musical instrument. While Alison Mitchell is a career sports journalist and ball-by-ball commentator, Kristen Beams is a former player for Australia who does expert commentary for the ABC. And I, I feel like you do want to be on a bit of an emotional journey when you're, you know, listening to cricket. And at times when, you know, it's a bit of a lull and there's not a lot happening, I think that's a great time to reflect and talk about some stories and take people on a journey in that direction. But when when the game is hotting up, you want people to when they're listening to that, to feel like, right, their heart is starting to race because they know something is happening and, and that you can bring it to them with those voices. And as an expert, I think you want to be that sort of captaincy view. Uh, I think you want to offer different options of where the game might go to. And you, you have to also be really comfortable that they might not go in those directions. You know, you're offering a thought that this is something that could happen. And if it happens, great. You can kind of pat yourself on the back and say, oh, you know, I thought it was going to go in that direction. But just offering the listener the options of where the game might go to. And I really feel like that is the role of the expert and complements the beautiful calling that we get to experience through the ABC. Exceedingly fractional ones. If there's any bit of the bat over the line, it's a teeny tiny smidgen. There's wow. the cheer for the Australian supporters. Well, now we know how many Australian supporters there are based on that cheer. But that is a really, really tight call. And This, for me, is a memorable moment from a couple of summers ago, the first time I heard Kristen Beams and Alison Mitchell together in commentary. So two women, no blokes for a stretch of time, calling a men's test match. Yeah, and it's something which probably even I don't know, six or seven years ago you would have thought would be 
unheard of. You know, certainly as I was coming through, would have been unheard of. But the fact that Kristen is highly knowledgeable, she has got warmth, she knows what she's talking about. I love being on air with her. And it's it's a breadth of perspective. It's chemistry. Uh, I mean, it's not a normal environment to go to work and be the only female with a whole load of men. And I would spend months of my life on England cricket tours for seven, eight weeks at a time, me and all men, like traveling the world and staying in India and Pakistan and Sri Lanka and wonderful experiences. But that was actually not a normal working environment. That's not life, being one female and all men. So I love the fact that there are more women with me now. But the question of impact, I think, for me, is accessibility. And I love it when even last summer in Australia, a family stopped me and it was a father was there with his young daughter. And he just said, thank you for what you do on the ABC, because when my daughter hears your voice, she then feels that cricket's for her as well. And that, I think, encapsulated why mixed commentary teams can have an impact because you're speaking to just a broader audience, bringing more and more people in. Michelle Gosco is a former Australian player who does expert commentary for the WBBL, the Women's Big Bash League. As a young, aspiring player, she loved listening to cricket on the radio. And I could picture what was going on. And I actually learned a lot about cricket. You could watch cricket, but you're not really watching what they're doing. You're just seeing as sort of a spectacle. But on the radio, they describe it so well that I could learn how to play a cover drive, for instance, or a short ball or the fielding positions where they were standing, all that sort of stuff. So, Michelle, what are the particulars of commentating the short form of the game, the WBBL? Short and sharp. It's very different. Everything can happen very, very quickly. And I'm very lucky now that most of my commentary is done with Andrew Moore, Brett Sprigg, and they really do the bulk of the lifting. And we're like the sprinkle on top. We're the flavour. So they're the chips and we're the chicken salt. <laughs> so, As the expert yeah, commentator. Yeah, yes, that's right. We haven't seen anything like this, guys. Oh, no, I'm just in disbelief here. There's some beautiful shape on the ball, though. Ishmael, she does get slight outswing, but tonight she's on the money. Every ball has just been... I mean, I've got a couple of girls that I coach. They actually practice commentary as well, (laughs) and that's what they want to be. They're 10 and 11, and they're practicing, and they're probably better than me, actually, so I better watch out. But, I mean, these girls, they see that, and people want to be what they can see or hear, and that's what they can hear on the radio now, so they're, oh, wow, that could be a career path for me later on. Coming forward on the pad, big shout, not given. Oh, I think she's very, very lucky. Maybe height, it did hit her on the back leg though. The authority and credibility to be able to do expert commentary comes from having been a top level player. But what about forging a career as the lead ball by ball commentator, as Alison Mitchell has done? It was a long game in a way, although from the outside you might look and think it was quite a a rapid rise. I was certainly very impatient. It didn't feel like a a rapid rise, but I trained as a broadcast journalist and then gained my first job at BBC local radio level on a sports team. And cricket was always my speciality, if you like. It was always my first love. And certainly one thing which I think any female who's worked in sport would say is that When you enter sports journalism, 
you find very quickly that, and I, and I do believe that there has been a shift in this over the last decade, but certainly when I was starting, there's just a presumption that as a man, a man just knows sport innately, just knows sport, knows the nuances. Whereas as a woman, you have to somehow prove that you do. Like you don't start from a position of of knowledge. It is assumed that perhaps you don't know what you're talking about. And and the number of times where people said to me, Oh, you 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 report on cricket. Do you do you like cricket? As if that was in itself, you know, a strange thing for a woman to like it enough to actually understand it. But I actually did my dissertation at university based on the relationship between cricket and television. So I actually had a 12,000 word document, which proved I understood the nuances of the game, which certainly helped me get those first opportunities. But for me, then it was a progression of reporting on cricket and then saying, yes, I want to commentate on it. I have more I want to say on this game. And I started recording myself in a tape machine and listening back to it and trying to improve and giving it to producers and bit by bit graduating from reporting and doing updates to then doing ball by ball on county matches, men's and women's through right the way up to eventually doing my first international match with Test Match Special, which was in 2007, that it was a natural progression. And at the time, we made no fuss about the fact that it was my first commentary game. I just did it. Because I think if we had, you know, started waving flags and saying, you know, here's our first career, you know, female cricket caller, part of the TMS team, and 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 here she is, then you would have been inviting people to shoot you down because that's what the climate was at the time. And it was the same when I commentated with ABC and was the first female to commentate on men's cricket with ABC in 2014. And again, we didn't state that this is the first time ABC's had a female cricket caller. I just did it and nobody batted an eyelid. And I still think that was that was the right way for me to do it at the time. Sometimes I think, you know, maybe it would have been nice to make more of a deal out of it. And perhaps I would have used more of a platform that I might have gained then. But equally, I think if, as I said, if the shooting down had happened, then you know, I might not have still been doing it for as long as I've been doing it. And what about how other now familiar voices got to be ball-by-ball cricket commentators? Brian Waddle, who you'll have heard when Australia plays New Zealand, started preparing young. Yeah, I don't like to reveal that to too many people publicly, but yes, I did. Uh, I used to uh, do commentary uh, hidden away in a private little room, pretending I knew everything that was going on. When I was at college, I was always told I talked too much, came in every school report that I had, and I suppose that was just a byproduct of what eventuated later for me. And when I became a commentator, part of the process of being a commentator for what was the NZBC in those days was we had to go along and sit and commentate on the bank into a Ewer tape recorder uh, and present it for assessment by the powers that be. So um, I'd, I'd done a fair bit of stuff on my own over a period of time. For Tim Lane, his interest in cricket was piqued by listening to it on the radio. And I was enthralled at the nature of cricket broadcasting. I was listening to football on the radio by that time and cricket was altogether different. And that's something that became sort of more heavily emphasised for me many years later when I became a broadcaster of both sports. Tell me about that difference as it occurred to you as a young person before you were professionally involved in it. Well, I, I suppose it was the conversational nature 
Whereas football, it's as though you are reading a script written in a code and you're translating it from what you're seeing with your eyes into words as you go. But you just have to keep on translating while you're on the air. The cricket is different because, you know, there are natural breaks in play constantly. After every ball, there's space to fill. And if it's a fast bowler who's on and if he's got a very long run up, well, there's lots of space. Back in the old days, the ball-by-ball commentator filled that almost entirely on his own. These days, the experts tend to fill a lot of it and people will argue over which is better. In the last episode of Everlasting Summer, Harsha Bogle talked about doing his first test match for ABC Radio in 1991, having just called a couple of test matches for All India Radio. He had to quickly make a few adjustments. One was that there were some interesting terms. The Australians always use sundries for extras. So I had to figure out what sundries was. But also the way the scores were called. In India, it was always so many runs for so many wickets. So we always said, what's the score? It's 80 for two. And suddenly you heard the people saying two for 80. And one of the things I had to adapt to when I came to Australia which I'd sort of heard a little bit of, but didn't know too much more than that, was that you're allowed to have conversations. And that is what I enjoyed the most. But the Australian accent was so different. ITIT was, we said, oh, what's ITIT? <laughs> so for Harsha, how did joining the ABC's cricket commentary team actually come about? First of all, he got the name and contact for the ABC's head of sport. So I've... I've sent a fax message to Alan Marks. In those days, we didn't have fax machines at home. So I had to go to a business center, send a fax there, and then come back and wait for the call there to know if there'd been a reply from Alan. And as it turned out, there was a reply. And he said, we need to hear some of your work because our standards are very high and our listeners are very demanding. Now, where do I get a piece of my recording? As it turned out, there was a Dulip Trophy final a year earlier that my father had recorded. And we had what was then called a double cassette player, which means you had two cassette decks on it. So I used the recording that my father had made of my commentary on air, transferred it onto another cassette. And now I have to send that cassette to Sydney. Uh, I, I put it in an envelope. I put rubber bands all around it. I wrote a little covering letter saying our style is very different, but I hope you like what you hear. And I waited and I waited and I waited. And then a reply came saying, uh, look, we haven't worked with you before. We can't pay you, but I can give you one test match. And if it works, then maybe thereafter. So I actually came to Australia. And after my very first commentary stint, Alan Marks took me aside and he said, just keep track of one or two things and, and you'll be fine. And that's how I did the entire series in 1991. But because I wasn't getting paid to do commentary, I had to do a million other things as freelance back to India to fund my stay in Australia. But it kick-started my career. It allowed me to get a break on television in India in 93. And that led to the start of a television career that thankfully is, uh, is still going long. So it, it was life-changing for me, uh, Amanda. It was the best thing that ever happened to me. So I owe a lot to the kindness of the colleagues I worked with. McDermott was drawn forward, tempted towards a stroke, got the outside edge and Azaruddin was up and away, the best fielder in the Indian side, falling in front of him to pick up uh, a good catch. One of those colleagues was Jim Maxwell, who started at the ABC in 1973, when cricket commentary was still very much dominated 
by Alan McGilvray. Young Jim paid attention to McGilvray's style. Well, it was sort of about the anticipation technique of McGilvray, how you set the game up and say, now, Smith's, it's all in the present. So Smith's coming into bowl to Maxwell and Maxwell cuts and Maxwell's caught behind. So you've set the whole game up so you don't get beaten by the crowd and the rest of it. Uh, You just operate a little bit ahead of the game. So that was the technique I tried to work on uh, from what McGilvray did and so on. And the other thing that McGilvray, as he subsequently told me, used as as a technique as the result of an interview he did with Sir Robert Menzies in 1964, who told him, McGilvray, remember, pause, right? That is how you broadcast. You must use pausation in your broadcast. That is, you know, using the crowd and just building the suspense up between action and non-action as the bowler comes back to the top of his mark. You know, here's Lily coming back. And he just tantalise you. What's going to happen next? And he's on his way. Lily comes in to bowl and boy, it's caught behind. A wonderful catch by Grout or whatever it was. And so on. Um, so that was the technique he used. And just trying to set the game up in the ears of the listener to what may happen next. Because he did offer you something about the battle between the batsman and the bowler, the psychology the tactics, whatever. He brought that more into play Mm. and that's another reason why he was so good to listen to because he did give you that sense of anticipation that something might happen in this battle. Well, what would you say then, coming off what he said to you, what would you say is your own style, Jim? Oh, I think it's uh, become relaxed, conversational, hopefully informative, There's a whole gamut of things that makes the package work, but it's essentially telling everyone in the friendliest way you can because it's a um, distraction for a lot of people who just want to be having this theatre of the air, as it were, in the background, and then every now and then with the upshot in your voice, they can sense that something's happened. Someone's got out, someone's hit a six, whatever moment there was in the game, because people tend to listen as they do in the car or on the beach in a kind of stream of consciousness to it all and um, just click in every now and then, I think, to what is occurring. So that's why it's one of the most captivating aspects of radio broadcasting because it's live and um, to a large extent you can't anticipate what's going to happen next. No, no. Do you, though, Jim, work at all the different ways you can think of to say things like the batter hits the ball? Ah, yes, yes. I try to vary the language. That's the one thing I've tried to teach myself over the years is vary my vocab diction and not repeat myself, which can become an an issue for broadcasters who don't think a bit more about what they are saying. Broad charges in and he drives and drives sumptuously for four. A spanking cover drive whistles away to the boundary and Smith gets his second four. Classic Jim Maxwell on air. Now, Jim, with the expert commentators you've worked with, the former players, do the batters amongst them see things differently to the bowlers? Oh, you yes. know, does 
does each have a different analysis of the game? Yes, we often say that when we have a Stuart Clark, uh, Jeff Lawson, even Jonathan Agnew for that matter, I mean, you get far more quality analysis from bowlers than batsmen who are just sitting out there waiting for the ball to arrive and knocking it left, right and centre, whereas the bowlers are going to keep thinking about ways to get the batsman out. Yeah, so that's the general thought, that the bowlers bring a, a little more acute analysis of what is going on uh, because that is what they have to do to get wickets. Stuart Clark has been part of the ABC cricket broadcast team since 2019, a former fast bowler for Australia. I think you described the game from the type of player you were. And I was a very steady sort of cricketer. I was not a... I didn't bowl at 100 million miles an hour. I, I didn't bowl huge swingers and that type of stuff. And, you know, I was very much long periods of time, be nice and consistent, wear batsmen down, get them out. I think I commentate a bit like that's what I like to see because that's the way I played. Sometimes I look at other guys that commentate. I'll use the late, great Shane Warne. He was a very attacking cricketer, a lot of flair. So if you listen to him commentate, he would want three slips and four gullies and, you know, we're going to do this and we're going to get him out here. Or if you listen to Brett Lee commentate, he talks about bowling, you know, I want to see someone bowling really fast because that's what he did. If you listen to your, your Pontings and your Gilchrist, they like really attacking style batsmen. You commentate a bit like the way you used to play because that's how you were successful and that's how you equate success to the game. The challenge is you've got to try and, I suppose, grow as a cricket analyst and try and work out there are more than one way to skin a cat and sometimes that defensive style of game, I've been consistent for long periods of time, is the way to go and sometimes you need to see that the attacking way of playing the game is also the way to go and that's going to achieve you the result of winning the game of cricket. Kristen Beams was also a bowler, a leg spinner with the national side from 2014 to 2017. I really like the way that the game is described. I think that's one of the really beautiful things about the game. And, and I was always somebody who really thought deeply about the games, whether it be tactically or what might happen or, you know, the different ways that people think about the game. So I, I get as much enjoyment out of being able to sit there and talk about what's happening in the game and, and what we think might happen, but also getting the chance to listen to other people do that. At the start of this episode of Everlasting Summer, BBC and ABC radio caller Alison Mitchell described using her voice as a musical instrument. But with cricket commentary, another art form applies as well. There's the colour that you paint and Henry Blofeld, the former Test Match special commentator, described commentary to me as a wonderful oil painting where you start in the centre that's where the action is and the pitch and the minutiae of the real detail of the bat on the ball and is the batter going forward or back? Where's the ball pitched? What did the delivery do? How has the fielder picked it up? You know, finish that delivery off when the ball is thrown back into the middle. How is it gathered by the wicketkeeper? But then you paint that broader picture. Stronger shadows around the feet of all the fielders and their whites just seem to gleam a little bit more this time of night. The floodlights start to take more of a perfect and you start to fill in the wider landscape and you reach out into the corners of your canvas and you might spot that the flag on the mast above the pavilion is now lying limp against the flagpole which will show you it's a very still day that the wind has started to ripple the green leaves on the fig trees at the back of the Adelaide Oval you might pick out the terracotta brickwork of a pavilion you might pick out the 
the young girl or the boy wearing a bright red sweatshirt down in the front row. Little details which paint a picture and hopefully transport your listener right into the heart of the action. All the England bowlers are going to be tired. Such a hot, hot day. Gone to Australia's plan, keeping England out in the field into the twilight hour. Getting past the 400. And in the next and final episode of Everlasting Summer, tales from the commentary box. Stories, strange experiences, and memorable moments. A lot of strange experiences, a lot of highlights. Gosh, I've been evacuated live on air from commentary boxes when fire alarms have gone off. I got stuck in a toilet once in a cricket ground in India when I was meant to be up in the comm box. Everlasting Summer is a production of ABC Sport and ABC RN. I'm Amanda Smith. The whole series, all six episodes, are available on the ABC Listen app. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.